Welcome to PPR podcast number 84. My name is Paul. The star sits to my immediate right. His name is Grossman, Bert Grossman, shaken but never stirred. And boy, we have ourselves a guest. Would you like to introduce the center seat? Ron Fowler, former owner of the Padres and the Soccers, correct? Yes, yes. Ron, you want to see what I have to deal with? Look, this is somebody sent me this. Some self-done <laughs> art. That, that, wow. that's, a, that's a self-portrait. self-portrait. Yeah. That's a pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I'll say. Caught his likeness. Uh, this conversation can go in a thousand different directions, and uh, we'll try to keep it. To, uh, we, we won't ma- ma- maximize your time or over, uh, overstay our welcome. But just because I, I think Bert brought it up first to me. He goes, I wonder if Ron... With this time of year, with the Padres looking as good as they look, coming off the season they came off of, if he misses it. Could you address being part of that inner... I know you're still involved in baseball and everything, but do you miss being part of that inner circle? Well, I'm a fan first. Before I got into baseball, I was a fan. So as a fan, you have expectations. Uh, And I was pretty intimately involved with baseball in terms of New York and all of the other stuff with AJ and Peter and such. So from that standpoint, yeah, I do miss it. I still know some of the things that are going on within the organization, but you know, I have high expectations like I think everybody else. And it's let's get the season started and let's not have any injuries and have the year we expect. So I, 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 I know we talked about it back in the day, but why are you not with the team right now? I'm 78 years old. I, when we, Peter and I bought it, it was one of those that, okay, I was going to run it for a while. Baseball wanted me to because they knew I understood San Diego uh, or they thought I did. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I had a good run and then COVID happened and uh, I've got a rest, some respiratory issues. And uh, my doctor said, you're done. You can't go down there anymore. You can't do this. And, you know, I had had a, eight-year run with the Padres, and uh, and I was 76, and frankly, it was a good time to uh, turn it over, and uh, uh, A.J. had, you know, made a lot of his early mistakes and uh, had grown up a lot in terms of how to do things. Uh, Eric Grubner really uh, knew what he should be doing, and it was, it was sort of time to turn it over, and uh, it was part of the plan, and, uh, you know, COVID probably expedited it by a year or two, but it happened, so we move on. So you mentioned AJ's early mistakes. Um, I always wonder on that, so how much of a leash do you give somebody? Because we see in football now, you know, young football coaches get sometimes not even a full season, and they're out, and they pay out their six years remaining. How, how much of a leash, and does that depend on the, the actual guy? Well, I think when we hired AJ, he was actually reporting to someone else, and I think he was taking direction that we needed to make a big bang in terms of some of the names that we brought in early. And I think, uh, Bert, there was a reason some of those people were available. I don't <laughs> think they were probably great team guys. And, uh, you know, well, the it was, it was a disappointing situation, but I think it put us on the radar of we are going to do things to uh, uh, try to make a difference. We weren't the same old, same old Padres that, you know, as long as we were playing somewhere close to 500 baseball, we were going to be happy. Uh, but I think he realized that uh, he, he relied on a couple of people in baseball that uh, he thought were close to him. And I think uh, their advice was not necessarily very good. So he's moved on. I've talked to him recently. I think he has a lot more 
confidence in what he's doing. Uh, he has a vision, and uh, uh, he's grown up a lot because he was a very young man when he came in, and uh, I think he's uh, now, in his mind, matured at mid-40s, and uh, uh, I think he's 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 given uh, been given permission to spend money, and I think he's uh, out to win and uh, going to spend what he needs to spend to get us there. Well, that's what I was going to say, because uh, one significant change is his credit card limit has gone up. I mean, you have the third biggest payroll in baseball, and I'm curious. Can I ask my economic No, I was going to ask the same thing. Okay. Or, well, I want to tail into this, too. All right, well, then go ahead. You, go, you play through. So, I mean, if you're 2016-17. You're in charge of the collective bargaining for all the owners. I mean, everything's put out there. You don't want to pay this. You don't want to pay that. And that's your job for that. How do, how do you balance that when you're also getting a team and you young players, do they look at you differently that way after that? I, I, well, 16, 17, you know, we, we actually gave the players what they wanted. Uh, I, I frankly think we should have given them more in the way of minimums. But <clears throat> Tony uh, really wanted quality of life issues, uh, better food, nonstop travel, better hotels and this type of stuff. We gave them that. The focus on the economics really wasn't there. Uh, and then we had... You know, we were going through the transition of, uh, let's say, PEDs were gone, players' <clears throat> life cycles were less, and uh, so it was a transition period. Uh, but, you know, some of the big contracts came out. Manny got a contract. Harper got a contract. And uh, <clears throat> the baseball changed. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I think uh, leading into 22, uh, those contract negotiations uh they were bitter. There were some different people involved. But, you know, when you see the players as a group reject what their union uh, negotiators are doing, I think the players realize they got a pretty good deal in terms of minimums and some of the other things right. they got. So uh, all the stuff about negativity and warfare between owners and players, I think, was overdone. Uh, I think it's we've got a fair deal. And now you have a situation where Middle markets uh, probably don't have the vision that uh, uh, Peter and the Padres have here. Uh, you've got other markets that have football, have hockey, have basketball, and there's more competition for the dollar than we have here. But when the uh, uh, Chargers moved, our plan all along was with a five-year plan to really be uh, to kick it in gear in 2020. COVID sort of kicked us, so we couldn't kick it in gear in 2020. The money was spent in 2021, but it was disappointing. But 2022 basically is is year, year three of a five-year plan to get competitive. And this year, frankly, I think uh, it's got to be the year that we really make a big difference because we've got Manny who can uh, opt out next year or is going to get more money. You've got two of our top three starting pitchers. You've got Tatis who has to prove that he is what he's being paid to be. And so it's a, it's a pivotal year for the Padres. And uh, I can put on my normal glasses and say we're going to do pretty damn well and that's what i hope uh, just a couple more pottery questions i i, I want to get back to you mentioned some of the salaries involved and <laughs> aj's got got the bigger credit card to work with we're, pottery if you go by television markets san diego is a middle market we're the 28th biggest tv market in the country consequently the team's tv contract or local tv deal is in that range so explain to me baseball economics can a team like the San Diego Padres generate enough money to 
service that payroll that they have, the third biggest payroll in baseball, I think, without the owner going into his own pocket? Or does Peter and the uh, executive committee, are there capital calls that folks like you had to answer to make a team work? Well, there have been capital calls, and uh, they're, you know, nine-figure capital calls, so it's it's not uh, that we haven't had them. <clears throat> but what we have here is, you know, we don't have other people taking money out of the marketplace. So if we provide good entertainment, uh, people are going to spend the money. So ticket uh, sales have gone up, ticket prices have gone up, uh, sponsorship has gone up. <clears throat> The one thing you started with, Paul, is RSNs. You know, the RSN is really the biggest challenge for baseball right now because those sport sport networks are not doing well. could very well be that uh, the RSN that we have, Sinclair, is going to file for a chapter before the uh, season actually gets started. And that's going to have a negative impact, obviously, on revenue. But the the biggest difference, if if you compare baseball to football, is in football about 70%, 70 to 75% of the uh, revenue comes from national considerations. Baseball, it's about 70 to 75% of the money comes from local. So if you can get your attendance to where it needs to be, if you can get good sponsorship and your ticket pricing is, is, uh, is going up, uh, you're going to be able to fund the vast majority of your expenses. So that, that's what is happening in San Diego at this point in time, but you have to keep on winning. So that's the difference between the other middle market teams in San Diego, is they're not turning the turnstile as quickly. Obviously, they don't have the winning product on the field. Consequently, sponsorship and all those other things that you just mentioned are not as lucrative as they are here in San Diego. That's the difference between, say, us and Cincinnati. That's an accurate statement. And then you have owners who uh, uh, sort of shoot themselves in the foot with some of their public comments. So well, well, that's, it's, yeah, all right. it's a combination that's, of all those things. That's a whole nother. So, that's interesting. Okay. Let me take you back, you know, five, six years. You're a San Diegan, obviously. You're also owner of the Padres. What, what's your thought when the Chargers are moving? Did you want them to move? I mean, as a San Diego, it's obviously no, but as a competition point with the Padres, I mean, where'd you sit on that? Well, I was, uh, <laughs> yeah, don't I hang up on me, Ron. about it, uh, Bert, because I had been working quietly with uh, Dean Spanos in the city to find a location for the Chargers in San Diego. Uh, and I'd been doing it, uh, frankly, since Super Bowl here in 2003. I chaired that. And I, I knew at the time that that was our last Super Bowl unless we got a new facility. Uh, and I, I did not like how... Dean was negotiating, and I've said that to Dean. Uh, I, I think he had a number of options early on, and uh, but you know the line he kept on using is we're not mixing other businesses in football. Well, uh, a lot of other people have done a very good job of development and, and really uh, helped themselves. And hell, here's here's an entity that was a developer, Spanos uh, Construction Business. So I never quite understood what happened, uh, but. Then I was with the Padres when all of a sudden they decided to take our parking lot away, uh, tailgate, and they're going to boot, put their facility down there. I went from being a supporter uh, and going from ambivalent to opposing it because there was no way that was going to work for the Padres. And uh, I, I, I think, you know, as, as a San Diego who loves sports, I was very disappointed that they moved. But the fact is, once they did, 
We went aggressively after putting a team, putting a program together to uh, grow this thing to where it is now. And uh, yeah, they're gone. Uh, some people think they're going to be back. I think there's a snowball's chance in hell. Yeah, they're going to no be chance. back because of the dollars involved. But it is what it is. Can I ask one last yeah. baseball question? Yeah. Because I want to get I, I got a thousand business questions I want to ask. Uh, <laughs> Fernando Tatis, you brought up his name. Uh, what kind of a player are you expecting? What kind of welcome are you expecting for a kid who, uh, you know, was the face of baseball for that period of time and now has to deal with the taint of, of uh, well, you know, anytime you get anytime you get pop for uh, steroids, you're considered tainted. Will he overcome that? Well, it's it's all going to be uh, based on how he plays. If he plays well and plays hard and doesn't go down any other rabbit holes he shouldn't be going down, I think he'll be fine over a period of time. But uh, he uh, seems to get easily distracted, and he's going to have to have a good year, a good focus, a singular focus. And I think if he does that, people will embrace him again. But, you know, unfortunately for uh, Taddy, is. Most of his problems were self-inflicted, whether it be not addressing the injury properly, getting on a stupid motorcycle all over right. Porter, uh, all over the DR, and then uh, finalizing it with the PED problem. But should we be giving early 20-year-olds or anybody 10-year guarantee contracts? I mean, at this point, I mean, at some point, I mean, it, whether they're great or not, it's such a long span. I mean, if I play good in six months, all of a sudden I'm set up for the rest of my life for 10 years locked in. Well, that, you just talked about the downside of a guaranteed contract uh, if you're the one paying it. Uh, <laughs> I, I disagreed with the decision to do what they did, but they made the decision, and uh, it was their decision to make, and now they're going to have to make it work because uh, the last six years of that contract are $36 million a year. Mm, that was a big chunk of change. All right, now... Well, I, I already warned him against. He's going to ask you business questions. He wants uh, to open a tanning salon or something. I told him you were out of his league, but he's going to do it anyway. First of all, Mr. Ron and I have a, a common roots. Uh, he's, uh, I think he went to the University of Minnesota. Weren't you a gopher? Uh, well, I, was, I went to St. Thomas, the team that went oh, from Division Three to Division absolutely. One initially. Then I went on to the University of Minnesota. All right, so we have uh, Minnesota in common. Could you tell us, kind of take us, were, were sports a big part of your life as a youngster? And kind of take us through the timeline to when you were uh, running a, a uh, soft drink distribution here in San Diego. Kind of give us the bullet points of Ron Fowler's life. Well, I thought I was going to be a baseball player. Uh, I was a pretty good high school ball player. Our team won the championship when I was a junior state championship. Uh, and uh, then I tore my ACL uh, when I was 18. And back then, uh, 60 years ago, they basically said, you're done. And... Uh, it's like, hell, what do I do now? It's like, you know, okay, I guess I better take uh, college seriously. But I always had the interest in sports, so I started getting interested in the business of sports. Uh, had three or four job offers coming out of graduate school, and I ended up taking a job with the uh, Theaterham Brewing Company, which was owned by Hubline, which is now Diageo, uh, and uh, got into the beer business and uh, really got to know some uh, owners and such in baseball at the set, at the time because Hams was a sponsor of uh, the Twins and uh, uh, got to meet the leadership there and I won't comment on who they were at the time because they were not exactly what I call uh, uh, good people. Uh, one was basically a racist and uh, uh, but 
you know, I got got into the business of sports, and uh, beer and sports go together. <laughs> and so, uh, I spent uh, four years with Hams, a little over three years, I should say, with Hams, and then uh, went to work for Lucky Lager, which was out here, and uh, went to work for Olympia. Signed a deal with the uh, Dodgers when I was uh, running Olympia to be their sponsor. Took it away from Anheuser Busch for a while. Ended up in San Diego running a business, a uh, beer business, and some other soft drinks and such. But uh, bought the company in 78 and uh, really became part of the San Diego community. Uh, I'm a firm believer if you're making money in a community, you need to give back. So I got involved with the Hall of Champions, Greater San Diego Sports Association. We bought the Soccers. I uh, had a great run there. Uh, the story there is we bought the Soccers. We had all these reps and warranties that – all expenses were current and such. And the day we took over, the IRS seized our bank account <laughs> for unpaid taxes. And uh, that was the stat, state of uh, soccer way back then. And, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I had a great run. I had to, you know, got to, got to chair Super Bowl, was very involved with various universities, uh, whether it be SDSU or USD and Division One sports, and uh, really was fairly close to the owners of the Padres and Chargers and such at the time. So, uh, it, it was, I look back, uh, knock on wood, I feel very privileged to have been able to do what I did. Uh, when we got involved with the, uh, the Padres initially, it was with Morad and uh, Jeff Morad. And uh, it was a short time before I realized that Jeff and uh, John Morris were not exactly on the same page. And so we had to sell the Padres back then. And uh, Got to know the leadership of baseball, which was, you know, sitting in the exec council meetings and uh, that kind of stuff with baseball. It was, it, it, it for me, a kid from Minnesota is pretty damn heady stuff. It was fun. And uh, I look back some days and just say, how the hell did I end up doing some of the things I've done? But I wouldn't trade it for the world. What's your best piece of business advice that translated into your sports business life? Oh, there's a couple of them. Uh, the under-promise, over-deliver is one that's I've used for years, but uh, probably the one that is most meaningful is keep on changing the game so you find one you can win. <laughs> because if we tried to do the things the way the Dodgers did, we'd never be successful uh, in the same way with soccer. So you got to tweak it. When I competed with Anheuser-Busch, uh, they uh, market-shared us initially about two, two and a half to one, and by the time we were done, it was uh, pretty much even. So... Uh, that would be the big one. Keep on tweaking things. Keep on changing the game until you find one you can win. I can tell you, I never thought I'd walk in today or the rest of my life and hear a reference to hams again. I know. <laughs> I, I remember the, what the can looks like. I was a that beer was like can a, collector. Remember in the 70s? That was like a two- the dance, Dancing bear. Yeah, bears. I know. I was just going to say. Now they're illegal. I didn't expect <laughs> that. They won't let us run them anymore because they appeal to kids. I think you get a... Six pack of beer for like a buck fifty yeah, or something. Wow. So what is? It? <laughs> Let me ask you a question because I'm fascinated by this too. The soccer's you go there and then you walk from soccer's to major league baseball. What's the biggest? I know money's the biggest difference. What's the biggest like? Wow, this is, this is different. Uh, I, I'd say the uh, money aspects of it. The the, the owners in baseball are uh, far more sophisticated, uh, but I will tell you they're equally weird. Uh, some of the baseball owners make their money and, you know, uh, trading uh, commodities and this type of stuff. And they're really not business guys per se. They 
they have a niche that they're really good at. They made a lot of money in. Uh, the soccer guys were more middle market guys. Uh, the classic in soccer that uh, if you weren't in the room, I don't think you'd believe it, is the commissioner was trying to get a cap, a uh, lower cap on salaries. We had a cap at that time, I think it was in 87, a million, 625 per team. And, uh, and <laughs> now it's close to the minimum in baseball. But anyway, it, people were complaining about the cost. I, I thought soccer was a revenue issue, not a cost issue. So the commissioner gives a guy an opportunity to make a presentation and he starts talking about a McDonald's franchise. And it's like, well, what the hell are you talking about? And he starts talking about how much they pay people to work at a McDonald's. And I listened, and I, I finally said, I can't handle this anymore. My first frickin' meeting of the owner put my hand up, and I said, with all due respect, our product's soccer, not hamburgers. How can you compare a hamburger flipper with a professional soccer player? And actually, in the meeting, there were probably 50% of the guys that were agreeing with him versus understanding that it was an apples and oranges comparison. And uh, at the end of the time we owned the soccers, it used to be that if we wanted to do something, I'd tell one or two owners that were friends that we'd like to do this. The only way it got done, because they were trying to break up the soccers, is they would propose it. I would oppose it, and it would typically be a 9-1 victory with us voting against something we wanted. You can't make this crap up. Know <laughs> uh, the room. Uh, I do have one other question. Go ahead. Ron, you're, you're perfect for this. This is an unpopular opinion, but I miss the mixed-use fields, you know, like the first four games of the oh, season. Oh, come on. I do, where, where there'd be an infield and a football field. We'd play our first four games till baseball was over. Does anybody miss that? No. Baseball and football in the same stadium? Uh, well, the, the economics were such that it just didn't work. And, uh, yeah, I think the last place was still happening was up in Oakland until right. they moved. But uh, uh, football players used to complain about it. Uh, baseball players used to complain about it. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things that's gone, and I don't think we'll ever be back. So it's not coming back. Well, because the sight lines were no, never come right. Come on. Not, not, not only was it a player health issue, but, I mean, you could have 50-yard line seats and you could – you were like if you were, if you were on the 50 yard line, you were 100 yards from the sideline. So if you were the best yeah, seat in the house was the, was the worst yeah. seat in the house. The best seats in the house were the end zone seats. Or the Coliseum, they had the track, and you'd be two miles yeah, I know. from, the, from yeah. the field. <laughs> you needed binoculars. Yeah, just from the first 50. row. So yeah, uh, you mentioned the uh, Hall of Champions, and you uh, you know keeping Mr. Breitbart's memory alive. It, it seems to be a cause of is a cause of yours. Why why is that important to do? Well, I think with all the crazy stuff that's going on in the world, <clears throat> encouraging uh, uh, kids to be athletes is is important. I think athletic competition is far better than sitting here looking at your iPhone. <coughs> and I think that recognition, you know, I'm not one that uh, believes in participation trophies. Matter of fact, I'm totally opposed to it. But if you're busting your hump, whether you're a guy or a gal in high school and you're looking to compete, I think uh, we should uh reward the the commitment and uh, uh the achievement and i think you should be able to do that at uh high school level college level and uh, professional level also so uh, bob had that vision i, I subscribe to that vision and uh, I, you know although the museum part of it didn't work i think that being able to move that to petco 
and have all the people that walk through there see this this Hall of Fame is good. But the Stars of the Month program, I, I run into people that, hey, are you involved with that? And I said, yeah. And they said, you know, when I got my plaque or I got my certificate uh, when I was 17 or whatever, it's a big thing to them, and many of them still have it. So I think it's important to the people who receive it. I think it's important to uh, uh, acknowledge achievement, hard work, and that, that's what uh, Bob's vision really was. I still have mine. Bob gave me one early on for the PPR from, for, as a media member. I still have it. It's one of the few things I still have hanging in my office. You have an office? Yep. Yeah, at home. Oh, right. So, uh, Ron, I hope I didn't offend you with the Padres, I mean, uh, the Pirates hat. I mean, they're, didn't, they're so didn't, bad. Didn't, nobody's uh, offend me at all. Yeah, nobody, <laughs> nobody's offended by the Pirates. Are so bad. Well, can we talk about your foundation too, and your son, the memory of your son, and uh, why that, how that is going? Uh, yeah, I might get a little emotional here. Well, um, and I, I actually, you know, I, I part, but it's it's a big part of who you are now. Well, you know, that, with with all the success, I had that that's one of the things that uh you know my son's not here you can't bring him back uh and uh you know it, it, it when you went through it it was you know you were told on one hand it was tough love you were told this you were told that i think every situation's different my uh son uh uh smoked pot and uh i don't think that was the worst thing in the world but he he also drank, which uh, I'm told going through all this, he was a functional alcoholic because he worked and got that done. But meth is the one that caught, got him, and uh, he never was able to beat it. And uh, he, uh, at the very lowest, he was living out of his car uh, and wasn't available to us. And uh, I just saw it was, it was a devastating element. Uh, and, you know, Kai Snyder and my wife uh, were very helpful in ter terms of working through it. And it, the bottom line was, how can we have something good come out of this? Because when he uh, was killed in the car accident, uh, a number of people wanted to help. And uh, the reality uh, was that we came up with this program. And, uh, you know, some of the kids uh, who have gotten the award, uh, were into uh, substance abuse. Uh, the families of literally all of them have problems with substance abuse. So the environment they're in is terrible. Uh, and most of these kids are not gonna have a chance to break the chain and get out and, and do something. And what we found is, what was the tie gonna be to some of the things uh, with sports? And it was that they would use sports, whether right. whatever it was, whether it's football, whether it's uh, uh, basketball track or cross country to help them be in a better environment with people who were, you know, not uh, using. Uh, and uh, uh, it kicked off. Uh, I think we we're at $2,500. Now we're up to uh, 6,000 and uh, seven people uh, on average get it each year. And then if they have a good first year of college, they get uh, more money uh, for a second year. So, uh, you, you've seen, Paul, some of the people that Absolutely. Uh, are there that come back and tell their stories. And, uh, no, you uh, know, it, it's really special absolutely. to uh, be able to do it. And we're, we're going to look to expand it. And 
you know, with some of the community colleges, some of these kids can get enough money if they get a two-year thing that's $15,000 or so to get through the community college and get on to uh, some of the state universities and such. And these, these kids, for the most part, uh, wouldn't be going to college, wouldn't be uh, able to do what they're doing without, without the scholarship program. So uh, there's a lot of people who have helped in it from being the judges to being mentors and such. So uh, uh, it's, it's taken something terrible and hopefully turned it into something positive. Ron, of all your accomplishments and all your accolades, what that foundation is doing, that to me is your signature deal. I, I'm, I've been to that luncheon several times and the convolutes of sports and people caring I doff my cap to you, sir, because I, you know, families go in two, one or two directions when they uh, have a tragedy like that. They either implode or they turn tragedy into something special. And for folks like yourself who are able to do the latter, God bless. I mean, think think of all the lives that you have saved in the process. So I can't. I encourage everybody I, I, to check out your website and and contribute and attend and you, know, you make it even bigger. I, I thank you for that. Like I said, there's a lot of people who've been involved and. You know, I think we have accomplished some good and we'll, we'll continue to do it. And I appreciate my other family members who are very much involved and Kai who's been there from day one and uh, uh, Bill Walton who is very involved. So uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah. it's sort of a life work. Uh, it sure is. Uh, so uh, you're gonna go to the big game? Or, or, or do you, hey, what, hey, just out of curiosity, now that you're away from the team, do you still go to games? I still have my four Gucci seats. They're very expensive. <laughs> I forget to talk to Peter about lowering the price, but haven't been very successful. Do, do, you, have, do you have to pay, or, or do you still have uh, parking space? That, that, that's the worst. Everybody thought we were getting the seats that we had for free. I paid for my seats for the entire time I was there, and uh, paying for them now, except the price has gone up about 50% over the last couple of years. Yeah, it's not cheap. <laughs> no, but, you know, I... I uh, I've always loved uh, uh, baseball. We had Charger tickets. We we have these seats. So, and uh, you know, sometimes when people do favors for you, uh, they don't want money, but they do want your uh, Gucci seats. So uh, it's a way of taking care of people who uh, help you. That uh, and it's a way of you know, there's some ads in town at smaller universities, high schools and such who really don't have uh, much money, but they make a difference with kids and. If you give them the tickets and they can take their family, it's, it, it, some of the thank you notes you get back from some of those, uh, especially some of the children of the of the ads, it's or teachers or coaches. It's really neat. So I, we'll keep them as long as I can afford them. Okay, Ron, did you did you wear my jersey to any of the Charger games ever? No. Well, you, you were always in trouble, Bert. Yeah, so yeah, I, yeah, he can't afford to do know, that. You know, I, I think if I'd have shown up at Spanos Box with one of them, I might have gotten uh, in trouble because you're, uh, you're, we're not exactly quiet and understated. It was the Burke Gross and Ryan Leaf. <laughs> Someday when we, when we have this podcast turned well, on. You, you, you get the better of that. I don't want to go there. He, <laughs> he, uh, you performed. You did. I was, yeah, I was a little trouble sometimes. Uh, Ron, we've kept you longer than we promised, so thank you so much. Uh, a thank you note will be coming your way for this because obviously you're the heaviest hitter we've had in this podcast, and the fact yeah, that you give us 30 minutes of your time means a lot. I I like what you guys do, but the, the PPR is something that's uh, been going a long time. I love the fact when Shaq used to, uh, you know, I love John Shacklett. Uh, I 
I wish he was doing a bit better than he, he is. I think the health health yeah. issues, but he, when he got involved with you guys, it just sort of changed his life and gave him a second second opportunity. So you guys are special in what you do. Keep it going, and uh, I enjoy watching. Let me tell you a quick story about that. I was doing his retirement uh, d dinner. We were at the Scottish Rite Center, and in yep. the middle of the dinner, and in the room was having a good time. Everybody was having pop, throwing back a few pops. And it just dawned on me because at the time the show needed some gravitas, some, some, you know, it needed some heavy. I don't know, somebody who was respected. And in the middle of the dinner, I said, oh, by the way, I want to announce to everybody, John Shacklett's joining the PPR next season. And he, and he looked up from his mashed potatoes because he hadn't seen the contract yet. And sure enough, he agreed to do it, and he became a legend on the show. And, uh, you know, not, he became a second dad to me, actually. So, uh, Yeah, well, that's, that's what Bob was to me, and Shaq is as good as you get. Yeah. Great guy. All right, Ron, you can turn this off. And again, thank you. And uh, I'm going to be texting you for a P.O. box so I can send you a thank you note because this okay. this, this means a ton. And uh, I Bert, promise I won't uh, ask it until next year. Bert, pleasure to be on with you. And no, my honor's mine. On the group, but between the two of you, uh, it was very professional. I'm going to have to talk to Ben and Woods and tell them that they need to take pointers from you. <laughs> uh, I don't think so. Those guys are in a thank league you. of their own. All right, Ron. Take care. Have, have a good thank rest of your day. Thanks, sir. Yep. Thank you. Bye-bye. Turn off the machines.